Hello, and thank you for listening to this life-changing message from River of Life. If you enjoy this message, we invite you to check out River of Life live this Sunday at 10.30 a.m. in Crawfordville. Visit riveroflifefl.com for service times and directions. That's riveroflifefl.com. Now, let's join Senior Pastor Henry Jones as he teaches from the Word of God. Amen. I'd like for my wife to join me up here and pray over me before I preach. By the way, this is my first wife. (laughs) And my only wife. (laughs) For a little over 47 years. And I praise the Lord for that. Father, I want to thank you personally, God, for what you are doing in my life right now. Lord, I thank you for being with me and teaching me. and, And Lord, wanting and desiring more of you. Thank you, God, for my husband and I pray right now that you will just hide him behind your cross. Lord, that you can speak through him. Take those things that he doesn't need to say away, Lord, and add those things that he needs to add to his sermon today. Father, forgive us all our many sins, and I pray, God, that you will let each one of us hear from you today. In your name I pray. Amen. 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 If you have your Bibles, uh, turn to the book of Malachi, it's the last book in the Old Testament. And we are making our way through the book of Malachi. We'll begin in a little while uh, reading uh, chapter 2, and we'll start in verse 1. Malachi 2, 1. And as I said, we're making our way through the book of Malachi, and this is what we've learned so far. Very simple, easy to remember. God said to the nation of Israel, this is the first thing he said, is I love you. He said, I've always loved you. And he was letting them know that they had been chosen in Jacob and that he still loved them. Now, they didn't feel like God loved them, and they actually felt like God had forsaken them. But God is letting them know that He truly loves them. Now, the amazing thing about that is, is they had made a mess out of everything. They they were God's chosen people above all the people on earth, and yet they made a mess out of everything. And God is still saying, I love you. And that's pretty, pretty amazing. Now, there was a, there's a lot that God has to say to them in this little uh, book of Malachi. And there's a lot he wants to say to us. But he begins by saying three words, three beautiful words. I love you. And then immediately after he tells them he loves them, he calls them back to worship. He communicates to them through the prophet Malachi that he is worthy of worship. 
real worship, genuine worship, from the heart worship. Not just people going through the motions. Not just going through a ritual. Worship has to be more than that. It has to be more than just something you discipline yourself to do. It has to be more than something you just grit your teeth and you do it because you're supposed to do it. He's calling them to worship. The first thing he says is, I love you. And then the second thing he says to them is, I am worthy of worship. I'm worthy of real, genuine worship. Worship that comes from the heart, that comes from the deepest part of who you are. And, and that's where we'll pick up today. God loves you. He's worthy of worship. And He wants your heart. Now this thing about God wanting our hearts is all through the Bible. It's one of the major themes in Scripture. Uh, I, uh, I don't know who, made, who said this. But boy, they hit the nail on the head when they said the heart of the matter is the matter of the heart. That, that's really at the heart of worship. The heart of the matter is the matter of the heart. I tell you, friends, when it comes to our God, our God is an all-your-heart God. He wants all of your heart. He's an all-or-nothing God. Now, in our minds, we want to create a God... Uh, that can just be a a part of our lives. But that's not what the Bible teaches us. He's an all-or-nothing God. You see, friends, it's not enough just to be an admirer. It's not enough just to be a fan. It's not even enough to be a supporter. God wants your heart. He wants all of your heart. And, And that's what we'll learn today in this text. In fact, the Bible teaches us, listen up now, because this is very important. The Bible teaches us that you can't even find God until you search for Him with all of your heart. Jeremiah 29, 13 says, You'll seek me and find me when you search for me with all of your heart. That's what the Scripture says. Isn't that amazing? And then we we have Scripture like this. We have Scripture that says, after you find God, then you have to trust Him with all of your heart. Proverbs 3, 5 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. and all your ways acknowledge Him and He'll direct your path. You can't find Him unless you look for Him with all of your heart. And then when you find Him, you have to trust Him with all of your heart. And then by the time you get into the New Testament, in Matthew, I, I think in Mark, the 12th chapter, They came to Jesus and they asked him, they said, what's the first and great commandment? What's the one commandment that supersedes all the other commandments? And you know what Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. That's what he said. Think about that for a moment. If he has all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength, he has all of you. And that's what God wants. He wants all of you. He wants your heart. I was meditating on this passage of Scripture and this message a couple weeks back, and I was praying and asking the Lord to show me again, to remind me what it means 
for something or somebody to have all of your heart. And the Lord took me back to my high school days. And uh, I fell in love with the prettiest little girl I'd ever seen in my life. And miracle of miracles, she fell in love with me. I still can't hardly believe it after 47 years. Amazing. And I want you to know that I went to bed thinking about her. I would dream about her. I would wake up thinking about her. All day long, it was about her. She had my heart. She had my heart. And not too long after we fell in love, I got shipped off to Fort Polk, Louisiana. If you don't know where that is, God bless you. I was really excited about going to Fort Polk because I thought this is kind of my rite of passage into manhood. I was so excited until I met the first drill sergeant there and then I knew I'd made a big, huge mistake. He was ugly and mean and difficult. And I got to tell you that the love I had for my now wife, I mean, it sustained me. I couldn't wait until mail call. I would get her letters. I, I was in depression if a day passed and I didn't get a letter. I told her, write me every day. But sometimes they didn't you know, come through every day. And I would get pictures. I'm not making this up. I would read those letters over and over and over again. I love those letters. Why? Because she had my heart. She had my heart. Now they were very strict in those days about foot lockers and, and our upright lockers and everything had to be just right and in place. But the one thing they'd let us do is on the inside door of the locker, they would let us put pictures. I had a dozen or more pictures of her on that door. And I, I sometimes would act like I was getting something out of my locker just so I could open, <laughs> just so I could look at the pictures. I'm not joking. I would look around sometimes, and if no one was watching, I'd lean in and kiss one of the pictures. I was in love. She had my heart. Not part of my heart, not most of my heart, but all of my heart. And God was reminding me of what it means to seek Him with all your heart. Trust Him with all your heart. To love Him with all of your heart. God wants all of my heart. He wants all of your heart. But before I leave that illustration, let me just share something with you that is probably unrelated to this message, but I need to share this with you. In, in basic training, they would do anything to, to make you mad. They, they didn't just want you to be physically tough. They wanted you to be mentally tough. And they would play with your mind and play mind games with you. And at first formation, one day, our drill sergeant got up and this is what he said. He said, at the evening meal, he said, we're going to do something a little different today. He said, you're not going to eat the evening meal unless you qualify. And I said, this will be the qualification. 
You have to have a girlfriend to eat. So when you show up at the mess hall, now to this day I have no idea why they call it a mess hall, because that's where you eat. When you show up, if you don't have a picture of your girlfriend, don't even show up because you're not going to eat the evening meal. He said, any soldier that can't get a girlfriend doesn't deserve to eat. (laughs) Those of you who, I don't know what the service is like today, but back in those days it was tough. And uh, so I'm thinking, man, I've got it made in the shade. I've got pictures galore. Well, everybody in my barracks knew I had pictures, and some of those poor guys didn't have a girlfriend. I did what any compassionate brother would do. I farmed out all my pictures. I made them promise. I made them promise they'd give those pictures back to me, but I I wanted them to be able to eat, and so, I, I mean, there's 12, 15 pictures floating around. After we ate that meal... Got back to the barracks. One of the guys walked to me. He said, I've got to tell you what happened. He said, when I showed up and I held that picture up of your girlfriend. He said, that drill sergeant looked at me and he said, really? <laughs> really? That's your girl? He said, yes, sir. This is my girlfriend right here. He said, son, I think it's my duty to tell you, you need to be careful. She's going with half the soldiers in this company. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't tell my wife that story until about three years after we got married. She still has a bad reputation in the state of Louisiana. <laughs> I was in love. I loved her. She had all of my heart. I'm asking you this morning, do you love him? And does he have your heart? Not some of your heart, not part of your heart, not most of your heart. But does he have all of your heart? Because that's what this scripture is all about. Because with these priests, God did not have their hearts. We'll begin reading in verse 1. Chapter 2, verse 1 says, And now, O priest, this commandment is for you, if you will not hear, and if you will not take it to heart. You know what that means. If you take something to heart, it touches the core of who you are. If you don't take it to heart, you just hear it and you pay it no attention. If you will not take it to heart to give glory to my name, says the Lord of hosts, I'll send a curse upon you and I will curse your blessings. Yes, I've cursed them already because you do not take it to heart. Behold, I will rebuke your descendants and spread refuse on your faces, the refuse of your solemn feast, and one will take you away with it. Then you shall know that I have sent this commandment to you, that my covenant with Levi may continue, says the Lord of hosts. My covenant was with him, one of life and peace, and I gave them to him that he might fear me. So he feared me and was reverent before my name. And the law of truth was in his mouth, and injustice was not found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and equity. 
and turn many away from iniquity. For the lips of the priest should keep knowledge, and people should seek the law from his mouth, for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. But you have departed from the way. You have caused many to stumble at the law. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. Therefore I also have made you contemptible and base before all the people, because you have not kept my ways, but have shown partiality in the law. Now we'll just go through this very quickly, but it becomes evident that God is saying, I don't have your heart, I want your heart, and this is unacceptable. Now, first of all, he says, uh, and now, O priest, this commandment is for you. The, the priests were the spiritual leaders who were supposed to be leading the nation to walk with God. They were the ministers of God. They were the representatives of God. They were His spokesmen. Verse 7, I just read this, For the lips of the priest should keep knowledge, and people should seek the law from his mouth. For he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. That's what a priest is. He's a messenger of the Lord of hosts. Now, church, listen to me. Do you know why we should take this passage seriously? Do you know why we should give this our undivided attention? The reason is this. We are priests. I know that may be hard for you to believe, but God had a chosen few who were priests in the Old Testament, but every born-again Christian in the New Testament, uh, Christian in the New Testament is a priest. We are priests. You are a messenger of the Lord to the world around you. You can look these up later, 1 Peter 2.9. All these are New Testament passage, passages. 1 Peter 2.9 says a royal priesthood, a holy nation. The Bible calls all of us as Christians a royal priesthood. 1 Peter 2.5 says we are a holy priesthood. Revelation 1.6 says He has made us a kingdom of priests. Do you understand, child of God, if you've been born again, you're part of a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a kingdom of priests. We should pay special attention to what happened with these priests because they were the priests of the Old Testament. Now, we don't serve in exactly the same capacity, but the New Testament saw fit to call us priests with their understanding of what a priest was. We are the priests of the New Testament. We are the messengers of God to a lost world. We don't want to fall into the same mistakes they did. So we need to learn as much as we can from these priests who made a mess out of things. Now, there are six indictments in this passage of Scripture to the priests, and I want you to listen very carefully. And I apologize, I, I had these ready to go on the screen. So just listen up, and we don't have these. But these are the six indictments. They're all right in the text. They were not listening to God. These messengers were not listening to God. They were His messengers. They were His voice, His spokesman to the world, but they weren't listening to God. What if you hired a messenger to represent you, and they didn't listen to what you had to say? How long would you keep them around? The second thing, they were not obeying from the heart. Even when they did the right thing, they didn't listen to God. They didn't, they didn't really listen. They didn't take it to heart. 
They were not obeying from the heart. The third thing, they had departed from the ways of God. Can you imagine? These spiritual leaders who were to be leading the nation had departed from the ways of God. When your leaders depart from the ways of God, God help the nation. Things are in bad shape when that happens. Number four, they had caused many to stumble. These priests were to be ushering people into the kingdom of God, and yet they were causing people to stumble. Their very lives, their behavior, their ministry was not opening the door wide for people to come into the kingdom. No, it was causing them to stumble and to turn away. They had corrupted the covenant. Listen carefully now. There's a big difference from getting out of the ways of God and corrupting the covenant. Getting out of the ways of God means that you do something that's contrary to the Word of God. But when you corrupt the covenant of God, you do something much worse. It means you change the covenant. You rewrite the covenant. You alter the covenant to fit your own lifestyle so that you can live the way you want to. You create a covenant that's not valid. And what these priests were doing is they were creating a new covenant. It, had, it was different from the original covenant that God had established. And they were teaching a covenant that was not a valid covenant. They had corrupted the covenant of God. And then the last one, they were showing partiality. If it was somebody they loved, if it was their family, if it was uh, in the Jewish nation, then they showed a lot of compassion. But if it was somebody they hated, they were very judgmental and critical. Those are the six indictments. And, and friends, I, I just got to tell you, when I read over those things and I looked at them very, very carefully. Wow. Be honest. Doesn't that sound like modern day Christianity? Doesn't it? Things don't change much. We've got Christians all over America. People who claim to be right with God. But they are not listening to the Word of God. The Word of God, the written Word, the spoken Word of God has no effect on them. It doesn't change their lives. They're not listening. And when they do the right thing, they're not even doing it from the heart. They're just going through the motions. I'm sorry, I don't mean to sound critical, and it's hard to do what I'm doing right now, but I want to tell you, there are a lot of Christians who aren't listening. They're not serving God from the heart. He's just a part of their lives. And back to where we started, He's an all-or-none God. He's an all-of-your-heart God. And, And... And so we have Christians that are not listening. They're not taking it to heart. And then, how about this? Christians that are departing from the ways of God. Just living the way they want to live. I'm a Christian. I talk to people all the time. And we talk about what they're doing and how they're living and things they're doing. And yet they tell me that they're Christian, but they've departed from the basic teachings of God's Word. And then, how about this? The way many Christians live today is causing people to stumble. I mean, really. Have you ever heard somebody say, I've heard this so many times as a pastor, it just makes me sick. If that's Christianity, I don't want any part of it. Christians who live such sloppy and inconsistent and irreverent lives that when other people see them claiming to be a Christian and they're living the way they're living... 
They don't want any part of it. It's causing people to stumble. We are the priest of the New Testament. We should be ushering people in to the kingdom. Our lives should be a beacon, a light that leads them all the way to Christ. But that's not what's happening in much of America. And then how about this, corrupting the covenant? Nothing breaks my heart much more than this. And that is that there are Christians in America who are literally rewriting the covenant of God, rewriting the standards of God, and creating a whole society of people who are living in rebellion against God, and they're preaching that it's all right, and you're going to heaven, and everybody's fine. See, that's worse than just not doing the right thing. That's when you embrace the wrong thing, write a fraudulent covenant, and begin to teach that covenant. You know what's going on, and I know what's going on, and it is sad. It really is sad. And then the last one is, people who claim to be Christian and yet show partiality. If it's my family, if it's my children, if it's my parents, if it's my friends, then we want compassion, don't we? We want grace and mercy. But if somebody else does it, we come down upon them with a great sense of judgment and condemnation. And we'll tell you, friends, God's not pleased with any of that. God's not pleased with that. They did it. It's still going on today. And it is so serious that it brings forth the judgment of God. The judgment of God. God's judgment is being poured out. It was poured out on them. It will be poured out on us today if we continue down that path. Look at verse... We'll begin in verse 2. He says, I will send a curse upon you, and I will curse your blessings. Yes, I have cursed them already, because you do not take it to heart. Behold, I will rebuke your descendants and spread refuse on your faces, the refuse of your solemn feast, and one will take you away with it. Verse 9, Therefore I also have made you contemptible and base before the people. Do you know uh, the Hebrew word there means despised, despicable, and vile. Now friends, when you put all this together, this is about as bad as it gets. When you look at this judgment that God gave them, God Almighty, the judge of the whole earth, is pronouncing judgment on them. I, I, every sermon can't be a feel-good sermon, but if we preach the truth, we have to say this kind of stuff. The judgment of God was coming upon them. And this is the judgment. God spells out the judgment. Listen up. He says, I will curse your blessings. Read your Bible. You'll find out in the Old Testament one of the responsibilities, one of the duties of ministry as a priest is that you were to speak blessings over people and God would honor that blessing. God said, I won't bless it anymore. If you won't listen to me, if you won't give me your heart, if you're going to change my standards and live the way you want to live, I will not bless your blessings anymore. In fact, just the opposite, I'll curse your blessings. By the way, this makes you tremble a little bit. I don't want somebody laying hands on me and praying for me if God is cursing their blessings. I'm serious. We live in a day and a time where we have to be careful who we submit to and who we let minister to us. We have to be careful. I will curse your blessings. He said, I will rebuke your descendants. 
I will rebuke your descendants. God, this is so serious before God that He says, I'll curse your blessings, I'll rebuke your descendants. And then the next thing He says is, I will humiliate you in front of the very people you're ministering to. Now friends, I'm not going to go into more detail, but I challenge you, read this in several different translations. This is, this is so, this is such a strong judgment that it would be improper for me to describe it from this pulpit. But God said, I'm going to put something in your face and I am going to humiliate you in front of the very people you minister to. And then he says, I will cause you to be despised and despicable and vile in their eyes. Now friends, I'm not making this up. I know we've sugar-coated Christianity and we've sugar-coated the gospel and we've very neatly taken everything out of the way that's even harsh at all. But these are not my words. These are the words of Malachi, the prophet of God who was speaking on behalf of God. If you're going to do this, if you're going to ignore me, if you, if you won't take it to heart, if you'll change my standards, then I will curse your blessings, I'll rebuke your descendants, I'll humiliate you in front of the very people you're trying to minister to, and I will make you despised and despicable before their eyes. Now friends, I, after reading all this, I've come to a conclusion. Listen up. God does not like to be ignored. By anybody, but especially those who claim to be his spokesman. God doesn't like that. He doesn't want anybody to ignore him. But when those who are supposed to represent him ignore him, will not hear his voice, will not take it to heart, will not hold on to his holy standards, that's where God draws the line. Twice in this text, he said, you will not take it to heart. You will not stand on what's right. Now, just in case there's somebody here who says, but pastor, that's the Old Testament. Can I tell you that not much changed when you get to the New Testament? I, I, it, it is amazing. The one group of people that Jesus didn't cut any slack was that of the priests, the Pharisees, and the spiritual leaders. He didn't cut them any slack. Jesus had more compassion on those outside the faith than he did the very priest in the New Testament. I challenge you, read your Bible. Jesus was kind to the prostitutes. Hear me, church. He was kind to the prostitutes. He was kind to the tax collectors that everybody hated. He was kind to the Roman soldiers that had invaded the land. He showed kindness and compassion to the thief on the cross. He showed kindness to the socially rejected Samaritans. He ate with and socialized with sinners. That's what it says. You want to hear what he had to say to the Pharisees and the priests and the Sadducees and the scribes? Matthew 23, 16, he called them blind guides. In Matthew 23, 17, he calls them fools. In Luke eleven forty four, he calls them hypocrites. In Matthew 23, 27, he says, you're like graves, tombstones in a cemetery. On the outside, you look good, but on the inside, you're just dead, full of dead men's bones and of all uncleanness. In Matthew 23, 33, he calls them serpents. 
He calls them a brood of vipers. Listen carefully, because I don't think, I don't know if we have this on the screen or not, but in Matthew 23, 33, he says, Serpents, brood of vipers, how can you escape the condemnation of hell? He blistered the spiritual, phony, hypocritical, spiritual leaders of that day. He had far more compassion on those outside the faith than those who were playing games on the inside. Uh, this, this is strong stuff. I ask you this morning, what do, what do you think Jesus would say to these Catholic priests that are molesting these small children? What do you think he'd say? What do you think Jesus would say to these Protestant ministers who are living in adultery and immorality and being caught up with in America? It's happening right now. What do you think Jesus would say to these TV evangelists who are exploiting the poorest of people and who have million dollar vacation homes and private jets? What do, you, what do you think he would say? Now, now, friends, if by chance you say, oh, we live in the age of grace, and grace would cover that. Come on, really? Really, are, are we that naive? Jesus blistered these spiritual hypocrites. He tore them apart. He called them what they were. Vipers. Serpents, hypocrites, blind. He even said on one occasion when you make a proselyte, when you lead somebody, you make him twofold more son of hell. You're doing more damage than good. That's what he said. Don't tell me grace will cover all of that stuff I talked about just a while ago, friends. If you say so, you have no idea what grace is all about. Grace never leaves you in your sin. This is how grace works. When you've hit rock bottom, when you're on your way down, when you can't fix yourself, when you know you've messed up, grace is when the hand of God reaches down and pulls you up out of the muck and mire of your own making. And He says, I'm going to give you another chance. But not another chance to keep living in that filth, but another chance to live a holy life, a good life, a righteous life, a life that counts. See, I, when we look at these Catholic priests, when we look at these unfaithful Protestant ministers, when we look at these TV evangelists, and I'm not saying everybody's bad. I'm saying, friends, we, we need to open our eyes. But let me ask you another question, one more. What do you think he'd say to you? What would he say to me? Did you say we're going to find out? Bob whispers back here sometime. <laughs> and most of the time I can't make it out because I don't hear all that well. We're going to find out though, aren't we? But what if he were to talk to you today? What if he were to talk to me? What if he were to talk to River of Life? I'm serious. 
We owe it to ourselves. We owe it to our children. We owe it to our families. We owe it to this community to address the question, what would He say to us? Would He really say to you, I want to commend you? Or would He say, I want to condemn you? Would He say, I want to commend you for listening to my word? And letting that word sink deep into your heart and touch you at the deepest place of your heart. Would he say, would he say that to you? Would he say, I want to commend you because you're doing everything in your power to stay in my word and in my ways and walk with me? Would, would he say, I want to commend you because your very life is leading others to Christ? Would he say that? Would he say, I want to commend you because no matter how liberal or off-base the world or even the Christian community is drifting, you hold to the Word of God, the true standards of God's Word. Would he say that about you? Would he say that about me? Would he say, I want to commend you because it doesn't matter if it's your child or your enemy's child. You do not show partiality. You call it like it is. You do it in love, but you call it like it is. You see, friends, everything I've just shared with you is what should be going on in this church. It should be going on in my life and your life. Now, I want to be honest with you. When I go through this list, it makes me want to find a place at the altar and say, Oh, God. Oh, God. Oh, God. Do a work. Do a work in my life. Do a work in my life. Friends, I am confident this morning I am confident of this one thing. That if Jesus were to address America today, He would have more compassion on the out-and-out sinners that are out there in the world that don't know any better than He would on the spiritual hypocrites in the church who are living secret lives, who are going through the motions, who are playing games with God. I'm convinced of that. It was Malachi's responsibility to stand up. Can you imagine how hard it was for him to say those things to the spiritual leaders of his day? But God gave him the word and he did it. He was a prophet of God. It was his responsibility to speak the truth. It is my responsibility to speak the truth. Listen, it is your responsibility as a priest of God to speak the truth. You have to speak the truth. You have to say, this is the right way. This is the good way. This is the pure way. This is the holy way. This is the way of life. This is the way you go. This is the way you go. There's one last scripture I want to give you before I close. It's in the third chapter, verse 7, Malachi 3, 7. It says, yet from the days... Of your fathers, you have gone away from my ordinances and have not kept them. Look at it now. Return to me and I will return to you. Give me a break. Is that, is that really in the Word? Is that really there? Return to me and I'll return to you. He was talking to those corrupt, hypocritical priests. 
This is the judgment of God that's coming. This is what I'm about to do. I will curse your blessings. I will rebuke your descendants. I will humiliate you in front of the very people you're supposed to minister to. I'll make you despised and despicable and vile in their eyes. I will put you to shame. That will be my judgment. But, if you return to me, I'll return to you. You can have either one. But you can return to me and I'll return to you. What a God we serve. What a God we serve. No matter, no matter what we've done, when the Holy Spirit begins to speak to you, if you respond to the Holy Spirit, He says, if you return to me, I'll return to you. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I... Oh, friends, what an amazing God. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can cleanse and make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that cleanses white as snow. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Return to me, and I will return to you. Now, you could come up to me after the service, and you could tell me every bad, ugly thing you've ever done in your life. Or you could just return to him. And just pour your heart out. And, and, and be honest. The, you, know, you know what the Bible says? It's an amazing statement. If we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. Did you know the Bible says that? Now, God's telling them, I'm going to judge you, but if you return to me, I'll return to you. And the Bible says, if we would judge ourselves, God will not judge us. You can just stand in judgment and say, you know what, Lord? I'm a whole lot more like those old priests than I want to admit it. And I thank you for loving me. And today I return. I return to you, Lord. Would you bow your heads with me in prayer? Thank you again for listening to this life-changing message from River of Life. If this message has touched you today, or you need someone to pray with you, then please let us know. You can call us at 850-926-1200 or send an email to info at riveroflifefl.com. We also encourage you to visit River of Life this Sunday at 1030 a.m. in Crawfordville. For more information, visit us at riveroflifefl.com.